The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. Welcome to the weekend. There's so much to talk about. It's the world of money, and uh, I want you to have more of it. So a little bit of entertainment to start the show off, and then we'll get serious, and then you know, weave in a bit of tunes. Dean Skirka, president and CEO at WonderFi. It's a crypto trading platform uh, right here in Canada. And, uh, trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange. A wonder is the symbol. Great uh, ticker, Dean. And uh, you are partners with Mr. Wonderful. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. How's that going? It's been great. Yeah, he's very well connected and opened a lot of doors for us. Uh, is he a pizza chef? I see him advertising this pizza oven. I, and I've actually taken the pizza course at George Brown College. I got my culinary certificate there just the other month. Uh, is he actually a pizza chef or just dresses up and dresses the part? I'd probably eat your I'll pizza show, I'll, I'll show my Okay, mine before his. Well, I'll take his, uh, pay, his paycheck over mine. How's that? Okay. Uh, anyways, how are things? Things are great. Yeah, we're starting to see markets turn around in the digital asset industry. And at the same time, WonderFi has been very focused on growing our presence in the industry, uh, specifically in Canada, over the same period of time. And things are starting to really come together at the right time. Uh, So tell me a little bit more about your business. What exactly do you do? Um, And... I'm also curious how many clients that you have, how many accounts you've now opened. Yeah, absolutely. So WonderFi owns and operates two of Canada's largest crypto trading platforms, being BitBuy and CoinSquare. And we also own and operate another subsidiary that focuses on crypto payments. And between the two crypto trading platforms, we would have over 1.6 million Canadian accounts. Wow. And over 1.6 million? Yeah. So carry on. I was going to say over $17 billion traded lifetime through the platforms. $17 billion. So therefore, how much trades daily on your platform right now? Right now, between 5 to $10 million a day. 5 to $10 million a day. Um, how, who is the regulator? How is your industry being regulated? And again, Jack, I think you know a little bit more about the story than I do. And Dean, you certainly know the story about the uh, cat that uh, scammed a whole lot of folk and was uh, arrested. Yes. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about that and why that is not going to happen here in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers you know, crossed. Early industry with a lot of volatility and excitement, you know, there can be an abundance of bad actors in the early days. We've certainly seen most of them, hopefully all of them flushed out over the last 18 months. Specifically in Canada, uh, Canada has clear regulatory frameworks in place for the crypto trading platforms that we operate. The framework was initially governed by the CSA, so the Canadian Securities Administrator. And it would be applied on a province-by-province basis. You would apply through your principal regulator where you're domiciled and get a passport through the other provinces. Since then, the uh, framework has matured to a point where Ciro, formerly IROC, is starting to take ownership from a regulatory perspective. Our trading platform, CoinSquare, is the first and only of its kind to actually go through the process. And so what you're seeing is a transition from the initial framework that was put in place back in 2020 in the evolution of the regulatory framework now as CoinSquare has demonstrated uh, through the zero regulatory body. So we think in Canada, there's very clear uh, regulation in place for these platforms, which certainly helps our businesses operate 
uh, with the assurances needed to um, continue to do so. And at the same time, from an investor perspective, knowing you know the nuances between those businesses that we operate and say like a Coinbase in the US, where there isn't as clear of a regulatory framework in place. Uh, in terms of security of uh, the assets, what's in place to ensure that my coins are going to be uh, in your piggy bank uh, and available for me to transact uh, yeah. when I want to? No, absolutely. It's a great question. We utilize some of the best practices in the industry with respect to what we call cold storage, which means the vast majority of the assets we hold on behalf of our clients are held offline and have you know significant security in place to limit you know any anything in particular. In addition to that, we have insurance in place in the event of and how much. Uh, well, it would depend based on the providers that we work with. So we work with a few providers mm. that have insurance embedded. Uh, but are client accounts insured? Client accounts on CoinSquare are insured through SIPF coverage on the fiat they hold with us. On the crypto, it would be the insurance that our custodians hold. So back to so, so one will insure the cash. You said fiat, which is currency, my friends at yes. home, dollars. Uh, th- that's insured up to what is it, a million dollars? A million dollars. A million dollars. That's like our industry, Jack. Exactly. So that's what our industry is. Yes, uh, if you open up a brokerage account, it's insured for a million for the cash that's held. Again, in our industry, Dean, and people don't understand this. <clears throat> Any financial institution that you transact with when it comes to stocks, bonds, mutual funds, um, do not hold those assets. Those assets are held at Canada Depository for Securities, off book. So the only thing that you need to worry about at any financial institution is the cash because that they keep on their books and they can commingle that cash with their own general funds. And that's why you need to make sure that money is insured and it's insured for $1 million at a brokerage account, $100,000 at an Ontario bank or at a bank in Ontario. Uh, So be aware of those key numbers. So in your situation, you got the million as well for the currency. Uh, the crypto assets, are they, how, are they protected at all? Yeah, they're protected through insurance that we have in place independently. There's added uh, protection through the insurance that our custodians hold as well. And so we think, you know, there's certainly significant protection from a customer perspective. You know, at the same time, the digital asset industry, you know, really enables, uh, you know, participants to, you know, hold their own fiat oh excuse me crypto okay. and you know that's part of the appeal is that you can own your own wallet there's no intermediary you know that is typically certainly today for the more advanced segment of the user base within the ecosystem uh, when you think about you know first time participants or people that are newer to the space you know that's when they like to utilize uh, you know custody through a platform like ours Jack, I would say you run the biggest crypto exchange in Canada. Um, there's competition coming at you through the U.S., right? So there's exchange traded funds that are giving investors uh, an alternative option. What's the benefit of doing it through a crypto exchange, owning the pure asset versus maybe futures uh, down in the U.S. or through an ETF yep. exchange traded fund? You know, certainly would depend on the profile of investors. You know, I think there's certain investors that would be in many respects prohibited from products like futures as an example. You know, you talk about the exchange traded funds that are expected to come into the market in, you know, early next year, call it. You know, those will be Bitcoin focused. You know, our platforms offer Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, and you know, 40, 45 other digital assets. At the same time, we offer staking services which allow users that hold certain digital assets to earn yield on those assets. And, you know, so we think, you know, in when you look at our entire offering, um, you know, there's a lot to like about the different products and features that we have. And, um, you know, certainly from a differentiator perspective with some of the products you mentioned, uh, you know, we offer a lot more, uh, 
in terms of what the industry offers. You think about some of these ETFs, you know, they're, you see BlackRock, uh, you know, uh, signal that they're going to roll out this, this Bitcoin ETF. They've applied for the Ethereum ETF, but you can see the progress, how they're going to start with Bitcoin, move to Ethereum, and continue to roll out, uh, you know, additional products with, you know, positive feedback on these products. I'd say just the fact that you have a, a company like BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the world, uh, rolling out an ETF, it shows that the asset class is real. Um, and, you know, investors are certainly looking at it. And I'd say the big boys in the U.S. certainly want to have a, uh, a stake in that opportunity. Um, in terms of owning the pure um, crypto, are there benefits to that specifically? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, at a you know basic level, you think about, you know, Ethereum and what you can, you know, do with owning that asset outright versus exposure through an ETF. You can, you know, buy NFTs. You can engage with DeFi protocols that have become, you know, quite popular over the last few years. You know, there's a lot that you can do with these currencies. You know, as an example with Ethereum, you can stake it and earn 4.5% on your on your Ethereum. To talk about that, because you've, you've said that earlier in the show, how you can stake your cryptocurrency and actually earn some, quote-unquote, interest on it. Please talk more about that. Yeah, so that would be what we call proof of stake. Uh, with respect to the specific types of digital assets that you can stake in a, you know, in the most basic sense, you think of Bitcoin, Bitcoin's proof of work. You can think of Bitcoin mining operations that it takes to generate new Bitcoin. You know, you're talking about, you know, massive warehouses, significant capex and, you know, mining infrastructure. And, you know, if in the, the net effect of that is all of this compute power is used to generate new Bitcoins mm -hmm. and based on who's mining them, at those specific blocks, get the rewards. Mm -hmm. And so with proof of stake, what that does is it, it utilizes the, the network to generate new tokens. And so rather than having a massive warehouse uh, with you know, significant hardware to produce these, these new digital assets, it's the network itself coming together. And so if you think about Ethereum, there will be, you know, I think it's 25% of Ethereum globally are staked. So that's what's powering the network today. In terms of the new Ethereum that um, are issued in real time, it would be divided up on a block-by-block -block basis to those that are providing the power. So it's obviously quite technical, but if you could think about it you know, from a BitBuy perspective, you come onto our platform, you go through the KYC, you send Canadian dollars, you buy Ethereum. Now you can keep it on BitBuy and do nothing and just maintain your your balances with us. You can take it off uh, BitBuy and withdraw to another exchange another wallet that you hold you can also now stake it with us and what that does is you know that takes those ethereum puts it into the network so it's now contributing to the overall viability and uh, of the network and then we flow back those rewards to you on a pro rata basis it sounds like uh, when you're lending out securities that you own for that's someone like, that's going yes. out and short selling it yes yeah, so the me. correct uh, uh, yeah the, the, the only caveat is you know you think about the ethereum they're not going to a you know a short seller in this example it's going into the into network, the network. Yeah. and it's you know fully you know protected the same way we would custody other assets and no one is using it on the other side so it, there is no counterparty risk other than the ethereum network itself Interesting. We're speaking with uh, Dean Skirka, a uh, very good friend of mine. I've known his family for a long time. Uh, his father is my personal uh, purveyor of fine threads, shall I say, classic imports. Uh, a great entrepreneur, a uh, young fellow, uh, created a digital trading platform and partnered with 
None other than uh, Mr. Wonderful, uh, Kevin O'Leary. That's brilliant. Uh, indeed. Trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange. The symbol is WNDR. And uh, it's a $100 million company, 18 cents stock. And uh, Well, I'm watching uh, Bitcoin just on television, around 34000 So certainly Bitcoin does have legs. Uh, Dogecoin. Is it off the board? Still on the board. It's on the board, eh? Bill Maher. Bill Maher. I love Bill Maher. Do you ever watch him? Yeah, I love is, him. He's, he's great, isn't yeah. he? He's really, really good. Yeah. And he has been so, as you know, dead set against yeah. Dogecoin. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I think for good reason. Uh, Bitcoin, different kettle of fish. Ethereum certainly has even that much more uh, uh, teeth to it as far as crypto goes. Anyways, we're going to take a quick bake and uh, pay some bills around here. We'll speak with you in a few minutes. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. It's amazing because in, in that song, Dark uh, Money, Money. Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, um, you have the cash register sound in it. And again, many listeners don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, but, you know, uh, those who have some money know what I'm talking about because you're a little older. And uh, yeah, the old cash register. Uh, your dad actually has an old cash register at his store, doesn't he? Yeah. But you don't use it just in the back as a as a prop. Showpiece. Uh, he probably paid more for that thing for the prop than it was worth at his original date of purchase. But uh, isn't it incredible how time moves forward uh, from cryptocurrency to tapping credit cards, which I love tap. I still get excited when I use tap. This actually is incredible. Yep. It's amazing how technology that's been around for five years still excites you know a pea brain like myself. But uh, you go to tap and, and, and um, electronic currency per se, uh, into this new form of currency uh, called cryptocurrency. And I think it's still, um, I wouldn't say the word behooves, but confuses still a lot of people. Uh, any idea uh, on the Western world or in North America, what percent of the population has engaged in cryptocurrency uh, investing, so to speak? Yeah, actually, there was some data that came out recently. I believe it's 31% of Canadians and you Americans have really? cryptocurrency. Really? 31%? You, wow. What do you think of that number, Jack? That actually surprises me. That doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, 31%. Uh, Dean Skirka, President and CEO uh, of WonderFi, Canadian crypto trading platform, uh, trades on the TSX. That's actually a good thing. Uh, you got some oversight there as well from the uh, financial regulators. Um, so that, uh, I, I just talk about this. Because, what was the case? Talk a little bit about the story about that. Uh, it was FTX. Scum- Is that what you're talking about? I don't know. You tell me. The guy who was arrested, they caught him. He uh, uh, bamboozled yeah, that was, people. Yeah, of, yeah. What, Sang, Sam Bankman? Yeah, Sam Talk Bankman. about okay. it, please. The story. Yeah. How much money he, he uh, froze on people. And, yeah. I mean, it's, and did uh, they get it back? Are they going to get it back? Probably uh, not. I mean, it's in a bankruptcy proceeding now, so they'll probably find out in the next eight to ten years how much of the money they'll get back, if any. Uh, but you know, it's an example of yeah, how much money was it? Uh, eight billion shortfall. Eight billion dollar doesn't do. It's not good for your business. That's no, not, not good. Not good for your business. It's hard to make up no, that shortfall. And, no, but I'm saying it, just, it doesn't help oh, the for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 that yeah. does you harm. No, certainly. And you know, when this came out, basically about a year ago, the the impact was certainly felt across the industry. 
um, you know, lack of credibility, you know, obviously a terrible example among a few others last year as well, similar situations. You're talking about, you know, an industry that is, you know, very early and has experienced hyper growth. And unfortunately at times, you know, that can attract the wrong type of people. In this case, these guys had everything going for them. They were incredibly popular. They were looked at as industry leaders. They were the standard. They were actually really? the standard. They, yeah. and, sorry, but the I would say this actually moves the industry forward. As much of a black eye as it is, I agree. No, you're it, right. It, it forces regulation on it. Yeah, I'm not saying right, it makes Jack. it no, legit, right. but it makes it, yeah. it brings a spotlight well, yeah. on it. And, yeah, and then, yeah, you're well, right. Th- well, you think about it, right? You think about a year later, guys like BlackRock, you know, filing for ETFs, and everyone expects them to get it. Yeah, world's largest year. ETF provider. That's you good. You could see a shift in, a, you know, I'd say a maturation in the industry. For from you know cowboys to you know to more more institutional and and and, and you know. so from a high level what happened with yeah. the fraud yeah you look at that example in particular it, you know it's it's unbelievable the lack of controls that existed there was no board there was no cfo there was a handful of people that had entire control over this business the the business was in effect two actual businesses an exchange that was incredibly popular and used around the world and then they had a market making division as well that was, you know, initially, um, you know, built, if you take it at face value, to provide liquidity yep. to the exchange. And, you know, what in effect uh, happened was, um, you know, the market makers had an unlimited line of credit. And, uh, you know, I shouldn't say unlimited, but it was $65 billion. They had a $65 billion line of credit. With the exchange. What this means, friends, is, is they, when there's no market, there's no market, so therefore a market maker creates a market. They become both buyer and seller of the securities and then will uh, move move forward. Like your father, market maker yeah. and clothes. Exactly. Right? And he, so he's an MP imports clothes, marks them up and then sells them. That's what market makers do. Yeah, they no. take the risk initially. Buying your dad takes the risk when he buys clothes. Yep. No, exactly. Same thing. So we, you know, over the course of years, you know, that line that line gets tapped more and more. And, you know, when there's a few bad investments within that and you get careless and start making significant investments in illiquid assets or in digital assets that go belly up, you can get caught out. And that's yeah, so the market maker, the company is buying these digital assets to be able to transact and then be able to sell them to the public. The price implodes and they're immediately offside. Uh, yeah. But was there actual fraud? Like losing your credit line is one thing. Losing your creditor's money is normal business. Actually, well, happens all the yeah. time. So, but in terms of customer account, did well, they get screwed? Well, what ended up happening was, you know, that line of credit was getting facilitated by client money. Uh-huh. And that was unbeknownst to the clients. Uh-huh. And so so their, their, their money was a collateral. And when you think about... So they're co-mingling, just like you were talking they about. They were co-mingling. Wolf. And the, uh, eight, the eight, you know, so effectively the $8 billion shortfall was, you can think of it as bad investments made by the market maker. And so when you believe you have this unlimited line of credit, you can invest in all types of different things. And when markets are working in your favor, you look like a genius. When there's a few bad examples and you make a few bad investments or you get into a liquidity crunch and you need you know, to, you, to, to, to sell those investments, but you can't, you know, that's where things really start to tighten up. And it, Dean Skirka, president and CEO of Wondify in our studios with us. We're talking crypto and the evolution, uh, of, uh, currency. And again, from Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon's cash register to, you know, paper currency in my wallet, which I still have a bit. I always carry some cash on uh, myself to tap, to uh, digital assets. Uh, the world keeps moving forward, and uh, you can fight it all you want, my good friends, um, but uh, I think the exercise is futile. You have to learn and embrace, and uh, at least uh, learn and uh, uh, you know 
see if it's worthy of uh, your investable dollar. Um, So we we certainly think in a world, to your point, that's increasingly more digital. You think about credit cards when you used to scan the credit card at the end of the day. Uh Now you know it's on your phone. You have Apple Pay. Everything is shifting to you know more a more digitized version of what it used to be. So when I, when I used to sell advertising in the early days, we could we could accept credit card payment, but I would have to walk up to an advertiser with that machine uh, that weighed quite a bit along with my briefcase that was equally heavy um, and you know pull out a carbon and scan slip the, scan a well, copy. Right, back and forth. And then call it in at the end of the day. And then, oh, you didn't enough imprint, do it again. That was blurred. Uh, just sign here, Mr. Klein. Carpet on my hands, a little carpet, little ink on my hands. Take a little slip and uh, so be it. Uh, yeah. It's when, incredible. When, when you look at that, you know, trajectory, you know, really the, the question is, you know, does blockchain and digital assets play some role in the digitization of money going forward? You know, certainly we don't see a world, I don't see a world where, you know, Bitcoin will replace the dollar. I don't see a world where you're likely to pay for, uh, you know, your coffee in the morning with Bitcoin. But, you know, certainly there are ways in which blockchain can provide further efficiencies to, you know, the path that's already been embarked on. And, you know, in certain respects, you think about stable coins, there's use case there around money remittance. Um, But, you know, I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's helpful to think of cryptocurrency in the pure currency sense with respect to replacing dollars? Let me continue on here because I sort of get confused and blurred. I want to remind myself the difference between uh, digital asset and non-fungible tokens, NFTs, because you mentioned that uh, acronym again, and I had to refresh my little pea brain about that. Um, These non-fungible tokens were basically taking assets that had no um, monetized uh, figure to them, like the Mona Lisa, and then monetizing it. Uh, that is what the NFT th- theme is all about. D- does it still exist? Does it have legs to it? Uh, we know crypto, uh, of course, Bitcoin uh, held in very, very well, but Dogecoin near the, near the floor. What about the, the, the fungible token uh, side of the equation? Yeah, well, it got out of the can. It, yeah. it got crazy. Yeah. yeah, so you think about NFTs, they would be the you know, like probably the riskiest thing on the spectrum of cryptocurrency. And so when things take a hit, they get hit hardest. Right now, they've been hit so hard, it almost feels like they're non-existent. The like tech- how, like, but how absurd, do we remember thinking like handshakes and like little weird things? It was, it was like most commonly these little profile pictures of different creatures or animals. And, you know, in some cases, they could be worth, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars at a time. Because did, were they the owner of that little picture? Yeah, the idea is like... You're, you're like a shareholder, Wolf. So at the end of the day, uh, what's the underlying asset worth? And if it's just a picture that's not worth much, the NFT is probably not worth Makes much sense. either. So the Mona Lisa, the Mon- I, 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 I opened with the Mona Lisa, mm-hmm. right? That makes sense to me. Uh, it's just sitting there in the Louvre. Okay, it attracts people, but it can sit there in the Louvre, but it doesn't. who owns it? If you can create ownership structure for it, it's got value. Yep. I, I can triangulate that. Yeah. Well, that, that. That's sort of what you're seeing now. There's a shift. It's pretty po- popular right now as a trend around real-world assets like the Mona Lisa as an example. You know, let's just say, you know, hypothetically, the owner of the Mona Lisa wanted to sell, you know, 10% of that, you know, asset. You know, could they tokenize that? Could they sell it through digital assets? And then could there be a digital asset that then represents one one-hundredth of, 10% of the Mona Lisa, for example. You know, that I think is interesting. You know, there's not a ton of liquidity in that market today, as you can imagine. But, you know, longer term, you know, there could be, you know, a real trend there that gives people an ability to get liquidity on something that otherwise would be pretty illiquid. 
Um, NFTs, you know, are not quite that. Uh, I think they're still trying to figure out their role in, in the market, yeah. and it was, you know, largely fueled by by hype and. But in terms so, then of digital coins, your your platform um, allows investors or speculators, as you wish, to uh, transact in forty five different digital currencies. How many actually exist globally? Oh, there would be you know thousands among thousands, unfortunately, thousands, yeah. thousands of them. Yeah, and that you know part of it is the the it's not very difficult from a technology perspective to launch a token. Uh, you know what that token represents and you know, how it was created and for what purpose, you know, that's what sort of dictates the viability long-term within the marketplace. But, you know, what our platforms do is really, and through the regulation we have is, is really like, you know, focus on the tokens that we believe have viability in the market, you know, have, um, you know, strong projects that they're working towards fit within the broader ecosystem. And then, you know, you think about coins like Dogecoin, which you keep bringing up, you know, there is a component of this industry that's driven around, you know, memes, and you know it's a bit sounds a bit childish, but it's a, it is a part of the industry. Got, I'm glad you said that, Dean, because again, I, I I've been blurred when I hear people speak about tokens and memes. And again, I, I've never made the connection. Do, have you? Do, were you able to make that connection exactly what they're doing? No. Honestly, be honest, no, no. no. They, thank I, you. I don't follow I, that closely. They, no, but I will I. say one no, thing. No, I will no, say. Hold on. I want to, but so what? What was that connection between a meme and a token? Well, you look at Dogecoin for example. Okay, uh, there is no underlying project. They are not actively building towards anything. It just exists. And for whatever reason, there's a following behind it. You know, a lot of that probably was driven by Elon Musk, but there was some following there behind it. That'll the so that's hype, Wolf. It's but just no, no, hype around the, okay, the, the, That's weird. So, so, but again, what was the meme? What is a meme? A meme's like a little, a little clip? A meme is... I'm going to say like it's marketing, Wolf. They're just they're, no, they're no, hyping no, it up is, and they're but marketing. But what is a meme? I understand it's marketing. I, say, I get that. I agree. You know, in this case, the meme would be, you know, here's this cute picture of a dog that has a token represented to it and it stands for nothing and if you want to be part of this club club <sighs> then you go buy some tokens and then there's a community it around absurd. it it is but you like, know honestly it, it, there's a for us we look at it you know this is a, a real segment of the industry today that we don't want to preclude and our users yeah. from participating with mm -hmm. it and it doesn't mean we agree with it. Doesn't mean I own no, it. No, but you sure. know, for us, it's it, we we recognize that this you know meme culture, right or wrong, is part of the okay. Of the so, so let's bring this home here, Dean. Yeah. Um, I'm going to assume, and I'm sure Jack will assume along with me, uh, without making asses out of you or me, that the bulk of the transactions taking base on your platform are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yes, absolutely. like ninety percent, uh, probably about sixty percent. Say the other forty smaller stuff, eh? Yeah, I mean wow. there there are some smaller that's coins. A lot that of, are still, that's still a lot of spec. Yeah, that's like any new industry, though, Wolf. It, it happens. There's a lot of players. Yeah, and then at some point, the real the, there's a lot of losses because it's very speculative. I'm thinking cannabis. I'm, I swear, uh, sure. I'm thinking, and then it, things consolidate. You watch to cannabis, actually Steve. the real players that add value. Yeah, and again, I'm not saying it's Bitcoin. I'm not saying it's Ethereum. I don't know. It's not my space. But, but, but that, that, any that, industry is like that. Dean Skirka, uh, President and CEO, uh, Wonderfy. Uh, company trades in the Toronto Stock Exchange. That's good. Uh, symbol is WNDR. It's 18 cents. Friends, be aware. This is very speculative stuff. Do your homework. Um, please, if you ever venture into stuff like this, don't go in big. So it gets you hurt. Um, 
don't spread yourself around quality and make sure again you can feed your family and don't use the leverage certainly not for this stuff uh you think i'm kidding i'm not gonna take a quick break get back to hi-fi radio 640 in toronto don't go anywhere there's more hi-fi radio in a moment on 640 toronto you're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Get fooled again. I love that record. That was a really, really good record. I played that thing side to side over and over again uh, in my teen angst years, and uh, I still enjoy it today. Uh, you know, if, if you're ever looking for some really good stuff to read, uh, some really good common sense stuff to read, but uh, big picture at the same time, guy named Ben Carlson. Uh, I get his work put on my desk every day. My one of my partners at work, Zach Kim, uh, does a great job uh, combing through all of our services that we subscribe to and, uh, you know, looking for the good stuff for me to read on a daily basis. And a great article here on How to Become a Millionaire by Ben Carlson. Um, speaks about the top 10%, top 1%, but you go through the article and it gets down to one simple thing. Millionaires become millionaires slowly. They become wealthy slowly. And I'm such a believer in that. Slow, steady Eddie wins the race. You buy good stuff, stay invested, um, make sure you're in the stuff that's working, avoid the stuff that's not working. The uh, hard part, of course, is cutting your loss and admitting you're wrong, and most people are not good at that, especially people who are, do not do this professionally. Uh, you, know, you know, I'd be a really terrible doctor. I hate the sight of blood. I could not excise anything on a human body. I couldn't, open, couldn't do it. You go to an expert, let them do it. They, have, they, don't, they can tolerate blood. Well, in this business, I can certainly take losses. Uh, I might be good at being wrong. And uh, people who are super smart at school tend to be really bad on Bay Street and Wall Street because they can't admit that the market is saying, guess what? You're wrong. You want to hang on to uh, Zoom video? Go ahead. You paid $4.50 for it. It's worth $4 now, 25 bucks. How's that beyond me working out? How many more stories do you want me to give you of examples of a cutting the loss in point of it? But slow and steady does win the race. Uh, I'm delighted to bring back a long-standing guest on Hi-Fi Radio, Kevin Muir, uh, the macro tourist. Um, Kevin, welcome back. Hello. How are you? Thanks. I'm great, thanks. How about yourself? Good, thank you. Uh, tell me something. Your podcast, The Market Huddle, uh, how many followers are you getting on that now? Because you've been doing it for a long time, and it's a slow build as well. It's like getting rich. <laughs> it is a little bit of a slow build. Um, we get between uh, like ten and 50,000 listeners each week. You get ten to 50,000? Yeah, between wow. different platforms. Yeah. That's, very, that's very impressive. I, yeah. I got like I got like thirteen likes from my pizza I made the other day on Facebook. I thought I was doing pretty good. I broke ten. Wow, 
<laughs> I know Jack listens to the Market Hut a lot, and a good friend of mine, uh, Jay Mackinger, you know Jay, uh, he, he has a lot of time for your work. Um, the Market Huddle that uh, I know Kevin, yeah, I know you do. Kevin Muir, he does a, a podcast uh, called the Market Huddle. Um, it, it's pretty brainy stuff. I just want to forewarn you, friends. It's it's not the you know become wealthy slow stuff that I like to talk about. It's not about compounding. It's about you know some real moves in the market and things that uh, Kevin sees. Uh, Kevin, you see a lot. You're very very sharp, and I uh, I'm delighted that you've uh, come back to to spend some time with us. Uh, you know, I, I tell you, I have a very rudimentary market gauge um and it's my client base and kevin I, I kid you not when you have a bunch of retail clients like we have 316 families we service every time near a bottom near a turn just before the phone rings wolf i'm concerned and give me five or six of those wolf i'm concerned i kid you not the market is ripe to turn the other way it, it is uncanny how accurate uh, it is so you know, uh, when they are crying, uh, you should be buying. How old is that cliche and how true is that cliche, Kevin Muir? Uh, well, Wolf, I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, when I think about my newsletter, the more pushback I get, the more convinced I am that I'm right. Because there's nothing that scares you more than having everyone agree with you at the time. If you think about the famous Jim Grant line, he says, great investing is all about having everyone agree with you later great investing is all about having everyone agree with you later the operative word okay so kevin uh i've been on bay street for 22 years you're gonna help me out here um 22 years on bay street and i watched interest rates go lower and lower and lower and i have been a believer for most of my days on mother earth you, you own stocks over bonds stocks outperform bonds by about two to one. Uh, but every now and then, bonds can be interesting and of decent value. Uh, and that 5% GIC hurdle that has, has been reached has attracted $700 billion of retail money. Uh, Jack and I said, it, whatever retail is doing in large amounts, it has to be wrong because retail always gets it wrong. There must be another trade to this. And sure, I've been watching the long bond market for a long time, never bought the long bond. I said, I think it's time to buy the long bond. Uh, just after I bought the long bond, and I bought two ETFs there to, just for quick ease. And this is a trade. It's not a buy and hold. I bought the TLT and I bought the AIF. But just after I purchased both instruments, now my brain is being attracted to stories on bonds. It's not like these are new stories and extra stories. It's that my eye is now going towards bond stories. And I, I guess I caught a headline in the Wall Street Journal or Barron's, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, that said retail investors have never been more interested in purchasing bonds. So I, I want to ask you, do you think that – the bond market is overbought at these levels. I, I, I open up with an argument. I can't see it being overbought when it was just making new lows. So do you think my bond trade, uh, am, am I with consensus? Am I standing by myself going long bonds? <laughs> what, what, what's going through your brain as I speak to you about me buying long bonds, Kevin? Talk to me. I, I, I don't think you're against consensus. Um, or Sorry, I don't think you're with consensus. I actually feel like you're doing the smart thing. And I kind of go back to what's called the equity risk premium. And the equity risk premium is the difference in the earnings yield of the S&P 500 or any stock index versus the what you'd get in the risk-free treasury market. So we rewind back to March of 2020, 
let's just take the NASDAQ, for example. It had a earnings yield of five and three quarters percent, yet the 30-year treasury was one and a half percent. So at that point, the market was telling you that it made a lot of sense to sell your bonds and buy equities. Mm-hmm. Yet if you think back to that point, it was a tough trade. The tough trade was to, to sell your bonds and buy equities because things look so ugly. Now let's re- let's go to today, and today we have the Nasdaq 100 trading at an earnings yield of four and a half percent, yet the 30-year bond is five percent. So that kind of spread between those two means that on a relative basis, the Bond market is much more attractive today than it has ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if the S and P is slated to actually earn what I think about two hundred and seventy-five dollars per unit uh, by the end of twenty twenty-four, two seventy-five divided into forty-six hundred gives you what a market multiple. I'm guessing, Kevin, of what seventeen? Is my math close? Seventeen, eighteen percent. Yeah. Or- so, time, sorry. so there you get an earnings yield of about 6.5% against the bond of 5%, so it's a little bit more attractive, but not a whole lot. So, well, that's interesting. Again, I just looked at the chart. I see something that's oversold, plus the bond market negative three years in a row has not happened in the last 100 years. Uh, can you just hang around? Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Kevin Muir, friends, you want to sp- uh, spend time with us. This is really, really good speak, and uh, I'm speaking with a very, very smart man who... who uh, Hopefully you can uh, help Jack and I navigate uh, the waters. We're in the seasonal period of strength, the bit of wind at our back. Right after a quick break, Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein. Never hesitate to check us out, WolfgangKlein.com or the Wolf on Baystreet.com. No question too big, no question too small. We answer them all. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Macro tourist um, and also the uh, market huddle uh, podcaster. Uh, he used to work on Bay Street, uh, trades his own hand now. Uh, very, very smart man and fabulous, fabulous brain. I just love spending time with Kevin. We're just talking about the bond market, and uh, Jack and I just went uh, uh, into the bond market for the first time in our career, uh, buying a government. U.S. government uh, treasury bonds, and uh, so far so good. But it's funny you enter this new trade a little hesitant. I I am. I really am. Maybe I got to admit that a little bit hesitant with the trade. And uh, as soon as you get a bit of pushback, I, I listen a little closer to the pushback. But Kevin, you know what? I, I both I do this radio show. I interview some amazing people, uh, people I have a great deal of respect for. But uh, you know, when it comes to people I don't know, and they they they're experts, quote unquote. You know, Gunlock uh, is it Jeff Gunlock? Jack? Jeff Gunlock. He's a great and great guy. I don't want to listen to him. 
And I don't want to listen to other people. I don't. I want to listen to the market and, 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 and put the noise aside. And I know, Kevin, you do that very, very well. You understand what I'm talking about. Because people can take you down a road that is their road. It's not your road. And so when a pothole is then in front of them, they know how to deal with that pothole, but you may not. Um, yeah, you got to trade your own hand. Uh, Jesse Livermore, Reminiscence of a Stock Operator, best book ever written. So, Kevin, um, Canadian stock market versus U.S. stock market next year. Sorry, it's a short-term question. I ask it every year around the fall. And uh, I got it wrong last year, okay? Uh, dead wrong. Uh, but I wasn't alone in my wrongness. I felt comfortable with some numbers around me. Good people, Jack. Um, <laughs> but we fixed our wrongness real quick. And right, again, we got our clients up almost 10% this year. And last year, we were down six on a very tough year. So last two years, previous year, we're up three three years of 20% straight. So we've had a great run. We publish our work, by the way, WolfgangKlein.com. Every month, we publish our work. Only advisors in Canada who publish their work on a monthly basis. And I'm not kidding about that. And people keep their, I don't understand why they want to, Maybe it's not good. Not quite possible. Ours is. Uh, but Kevin, uh, U.S. U.S. stock market versus Canadian stock market 2024. What is your gut or your so brain telling you? Because if you think about the U.S. stock market, it's really 493 stocks versus that <laughs> magnificent seven. 493 plus seven. And the seven drove it this year without question. That's right. So when you're talking about kind of what you expect for the U.S. stock market, I could see a situation where those seven get halved next year. Halved? And Amazon, and- Apple, Google, um, Meta, that's making new highs. NVIDIA being there. Well, NVIDIA, halved? Halved? Yep. You said halved? Well, on the index as a whole, for sure, I could see that. These things are trading at super rich valuations, at uh, kind of uh, expanded PEs. Our earnings are through the roof because of all the AI spending. But, you know, we could have a situation where the economy rolls over and then all of these tech companies' earnings disappoint and then the PE goes from 35 or, or 30 down to 20 and these things are halved. I've, I've lived through multiple contractions, as you're referring to, and they are not fun. Uh, so, buyer beware and... Uh, Prudent to book, you know, uh, pair back if your positions are too big. Uh, you got to book profit at some point, or the market will take it away from you. And uh, again, we're not talking about COVID stocks; you're talking about the seven largest companies. But uh, again, let, let, let's pivot over here. And again, uh, I don't watch football. I'm just beginning to appreciate European soccer because I, I saw an amazing game when I was in Portugal, and I got a bit of a bug to watching your. It's a, it's a different breed, but uh, the NFL. And gentlemen, Jack, you're, you're a bit more uh, in tune with the NFL. Where's that bit from Amazon? Amazon spending, what, $100 million to get a Friday game, the Black Friday game, first ever. $100 million. Now, I understand Amazon is going to sell advertising around it at about eight, uh, at around eight, what is it, $800,000 per commercial. Call it a million dollars a commercial. And I said to Zach, in my office, Zach, what can hundred million to pay for it? Uh, call it a million bucks a commercial. That means they have to run a hundred commercials during uh, a football game. They're not going to run a hundred commercials. They no way. I used to sell this stuff uh, maybe twelve minutes an hour, maybe four commercial breaks, maybe three minutes in a break. To, uh, no, the game's about three hours long. They might be able to sell, I'd say, to maybe twenty-five commercials. So they're going to be shortfall. Zach, you have a wolf. They're going to hook in some new prime customers, uh, and and. And you know this, Jack, 
if the game's taking place and you can watch it, you're not going to do anything but watch it, right? You, what happens? If people watch three games or something? Well, there's three games on the Thursday. There's one on the Friday that Amazon's booked. So yeah, they're they're trying to get people away from the Brooks and Mortar. And then uh, go shopping and go shopping on Cyber Monday where they make their money. Or or during the game. Would they shop during the game? I guess you wouldn't. No, your chicken wings and your beer. That's that's what you're focused on. <laughs> <laughs> but $100 million. So, again, I want to go back to now, Kevin. That's a move to buy real estate. They want to um, build a moat, uh, build a wall, um, their, their own ecosystem, and, and get people hooked on it. Uh and they're willing to spend $100 million bucks on doing it. And I think it's going to work. And again, that becomes a very sticky customer. Because if that customer finds something on Amazon Prime that they like, all of a sudden they're going to commit to Amazon Prime. Uh, little companies can't do that uh, just to drop $100 million. So amazing when you have clout, how you can use it to your advantage. Uh, but you think a company like Amazon could be subjected to uh, market uh, give back. Kevin. Well, the only question why you're going to pay for that cloud. Well, I, I think the you're not alone in that thought. Um, the, the the amazing thing is the the market just doesn't tell you when it's going to stop, and uh, uh, inertia is a amazing force, and uh, trend is amazing force, and uh, no different than watching a stock go higher is also watching a stock go lower and saying it's got to hit bottom here. Uh, well, is it zero yet? Because that's ultimately where it can go. Yeah. Here's another funny one for you, Kevin. Again, retail investors, you, you are so handicapped if you do it yourself. Trust me when I say because you're going to have a hard time doing the hard part of the trade. There's two parts to a trade. There's a buy and there's a sell. And the buy, which is so important, people find very easy to do. Fine. The sell is so hard to do. Uh, taking profit is one thing. Taking a loss is something else. I want to wish you a great weekend. I want to thank you very much for spending time with us. Kevin Muir, uh, let's get you on before year end, if you don't mind, for a little roundtable, uh, maybe during the Santa Claus rally. We'll, of course, be giddish and bullish, and you'll calm us down a little bit, Kevin. Can, can, you, do that? can you do that for us? Sounds good. Uh, anyways, Kevin, you're a good man. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Jack Hartle, producer of the show. Of course, Wolfgang Klein, uh, one of two portfolio managers. Both Jack and I uh, take care of clients' wealth. Uh, we're like the golden arches with uh, how many hamburgers they sold. <laughs> well, we're at 316 families served and counting. Uh, God bless you. Have a great weekend. Uh, show love, show peace, um, show good vibrations. It'll all come back to you in spades. Sci Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. All the best. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.